Hey there, Tweets Out Loud fans, it's Morg, and I'm reading my Tweets Out Loud for my podcast that you're listening to. Morg reads his own Tweets Out Loud. You can find me on Twitter, Mr. Underscore Org, and there you will find all of the tweets that I'm about to read out loud to you, starting with this one. This one was a follow-up to the Democratic debate. CNN tweeted a little clip of Marianne Williamson saying she was challenging New Zealand and she was going to call the Prime Minister and say that the United States of America is going to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And so I tweeted very cleverly, if she gets elected, we are going to get bombed. The joke is that if they bombed us, then we wouldn't be the best place for a child to grow up. So, um, and also, yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best Marianne Williamson joke going around and there were a lot of them going around after that debate. So let's just move on, shall we? Let's just move on. Uh, I watched It. It was the film of Stephen King's enormous novel, the first part of that um, film duo that will be covering that novel. And I squeezed a review of it into a tweet, and it goes like this. It, 2017, admirably wrestles King's sprawl into two hours, but pacing is shaky, and the horror sequences are edited like Marvel movie fight scenes. Like the book fails to put the most terrifying character, the unhinged bully, to good use. Worth it for the slideshow alone, though. That slideshow sequence um, was original to the movie, and it is very much fun, very enjoyable. Um, followed up that tweet with another one. Visual effects in film are a solved problem in terms of technology, but giving directors the ability to actually direct them like any other sequence remains a horizon or two away. And it does. That mention of the Marvel movie fight scenes in the first tweet is kind of a um, a little reference to the fact that a lot of the uh, action sequences in the Marvel movies aren't really directed by the directors of the film. They are... Um, managed by the effects team, and that's one of the reasons why they kind of look the same from movie to movie to movie. Um, Interesting times for filmmaking with such amazing technology at the disposal of the creators, but uh, still so many limitations on what they can do with them. So, how about that? Solving film problems for you all. I also tweeted a few days ago a photo, um, and the comment of the photo was uh you know your wellington when the pop of color is more black and the photo is of a little clothing rack in farmers which is a clothing store over here with a big sign saying pop of color and on the rack was a great big black jacket perfectly black wellington of course is famous for the black clothes that are worn by everybody it is not a colorful city sartorially um, and that was the whole joke. It was a very funny joke, I thought, and so did 51 people who liked it. 51 people liked it, seven retweets. That was a pretty successful tweet, really good for my numbers and my engagement. Um, I'm sure dozens of those likers are probably listening to this podcast now because I don't know where else you're coming from. I don't, I don't understand. Who knows? Sunday Horrors this week was Children of the Corn, the terrifying tale of children who enjoy eating corn straight from the cob, I think. I've never seen it. Film is at the YouTube link in the tweet below. And that was the Sunday Horrors. Every Sunday night we watch a horror movie that is free to watch on YouTube, and Children of the Corn was the one this week. And um, I really liked it, actually. I had a had a bit of a flashback to seeing the trailer when I was, when I was young, when I was too young to watch that film, and um, remembering this sequence of kind of a uh, creature burrowing along under the earth, and that was quite a freaky moment when I was a kid, and that 
Um, I had forgotten all about it, but I'm pretty sure it featured in a few nightmares that I experienced as a young, young man. So um, it was pretty good to dispel those nightmares by watching the film and realizing that the thing burrowing under the ground was actually just kind of some flashing lights. And yeah, it's a good film anyway. Well, not a not a good film, but a good watch. Call it that, a good watch. I also tweeted from The Hollywood Reporter that the Sandman TV series from Neil Gaiman and David Goyer is a go, coming to Netflix, and the uh, showrunner, I noted, is Alan Heinberg, who also understands the world of comics. He created a comic called The Young Avengers, um, which everyone thought was going to be pretty terrible because the concept of Young Avengers was seen as widely dumb but it turned out to be quite amazing because he was really insightful in how he put it together and really respectful of the source material but also very keen to do new stuff and to push beyond what anyone was expecting so I think that's a pretty good set of credentials to go into this someone who understands comics understands the medium has some reverence for it but also doesn't feel bound by what's in there so I'm quite excited to see what the Sandman TV series might turn up to be like Um, alright, this is kind of reply of the week territory, I um, retweeted one of my own Twitter replies, I retweeted it saying, I think I have to retire from Twitter now, I'm never going to do a reply better than this, and the reply in question was, um, well I don't need to read it out loud, because it's not Morg reads his own replies out loud, but I was replying to someone who had um, described a bit of miniature game painting that they had done in a way that called to mind the theme song from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I riffed on that with a few more lines of that fictional theme song changing the words in a humorous way Um, and that was uh, that was a very enjoyable thing to do and that picked up whole bunch of likes and retweets so i've had lots of likes and retweets so i'm sure all you people who liked and retweeted have naturally subscribed to the podcast because that's what you would do of course as soon as you'd like a tweet you immediately go to the profile of the person find out they have a podcast and subscribe to it so you can hear their tweets being read out loud so welcome everybody welcome 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 another another tweet this is just to say i don't forgive you with apologies to William Carlos Williams, or more correctly, without them. And that tweet, of course, was inspired by listening to This American Life this week, which talked about William Carlos Williams' This Is Just To Say poem, and I realised that I'd never really seen a response in the same format. Um, and I'm sure people have done one, but I I put those words into Google before doing this little, little podcast read out loud thing, and no one else seems to have done that exact thing, so I'm claiming that joke, that's mine... I've got it. I've got it now. Then things took a little turn for the serious in my Twitter feed. Because there's a lot of serious stuff happening. A lot of serious stuff happening. Concentration camps in Australia and the USA now. The Brexit contingent would love to add the UK to the list. Things are happening fast. And then, following up from that, with those thoughts in mind, I um, did a little thread. The defining question of the present moment is, should we be afraid? A comprehensive network of messaging agents and media channels say yes. Fox News offers an endless series of squawking chicken littles, cheered on by swarms of eager grifters and trained parrots. The fear network was built over decades, and the trails of money lead to just a few incredibly wealthy individuals. They control the world, not in the sense of a hidden global conspiracy, but 
simply because a fearful populace cannot question them. Fear has led to concentration camps in the USA and offshore from Australia. Fear led people in the UK to vote self-destructively for Brexit. Fear is why bold action on climate is almost unthinkable. Fear overwhelms us. It drives tribalism and submission to power. It's a tool of control. The fear all around us is not a natural condition. It has been deliberately created by powerful men, and that means it can be addressed. The network itself has to become a target. The creatures of the network, Trump and Farage and the rest, are protected as long as it stands. Fox News must have its vulnerabilities exposed or the overall project will forever struggle. I'm confident this is necessary strategy. How to achieve it though? I haven't the slightest idea. But I'm watching and waiting because someone out there is going to find a vulnerability eventually. I just hope it's soon enough to count. There will always be a market for fear. Um, so that's a, yeah, that little spiel that I did, um, past 11 o'clock last night, um, prime Twitter, uh, sharing opportunity there, of course, when most of my friends have gone to sleep. Um, that's a good example of how sometimes I use Twitter to figure stuff out. That's me thinking out loud, working through an idea. I used to do it on my blog, but, um, who does blogging anymore? So, uh, Twitter is the new blog. And um, reading tweets out loud is the new audio blog. Audio blogs were never a thing. Another, another tweet series um, from just a short while ago because I've been thinking about this stuff further. The culture war is no mystery. Social norms and group out group, it's all well understood. But the fear industry did make one major breakthrough. And their success relies on it. Whenever I've started talking to social psych people about change, they get antsy. See, we know how social norms work and how rough it is to violate them. We know how group membership works and the patterns and how we treat out groups. What we don't know is how to change it. There are a few things we know work. Get groups to cooperate on a superordinate goal. Get similar people from different groups hanging out. Get high-status influences to model new norms, but the conditions for all of these moves are difficult to meet. What's even the point of this discipline, a social psych prof told me once in mock despair, if we can't actually change anything? We failed to influence people to put slightly more of their litter in the trash. If we can't even do that, how can we make substantive change? The fear industry figured out a way. Their project was to shift social norms and promote a particular set of group identities. The special source they applied, the innovation that social psych couldn't do, it was money. It turns out, if you sit in 100 level psych and say, I'm going to spend billions of dollars on doing exactly that stuff, you can actually make substantive change. Money gives you the ability to be everywhere in culture, and that's what we respond to. So that's part of the challenge right now. The indication is shifting those social norms back towards a more human set of values is going to cost. No, more than that. Even more than that. It's not impossible. Grassroots, small but many fundraising has become viable like never before. The real challenge isn't so much money as coordination. Which cause? Who leads? Who decides? Also, there are other ways to make change. The fear industry exhausts people and fails to explain reality. People can and do defect to an appealing alternative. 
I don't think critical mass for change is really that far away. Perhaps I'm an optimist, yet yeah? We couldn't even clean a courtyard. But on the other hand, Emily Evis from the Glastonbury Festival tweeted that she'd heard that 99.3% of all tents were taken home, which is a pretty incredible change from just last year at Glastonbury. A huge, huge transition in mass behaviour. In conclusion, pick up your rubbish and be the social norm you want to see in the world. People are watching. So, here we are. Call to action. Something I feel strongly about. Um, social psychology is my discipline. It's what I have a master's degree in. And I continue to be saddened that the most obvious lessons in it about the power of social norms and the importance of group membership are widely overlooked. Um, and when they are being used, they tend to be used by people who I think don't have much interest in bringing people together and overcoming difference. But as I tweeted, I'm hopeful. And I've got to be hopeful. We have to keep trying. So that's one of the things that I try and do on Twitter. I try and be the social norm that I want to see in the world. And try and uh, share, retweet ideas that I think need to be out there. Try and normalize kindness and respect for difference and mindfulness towards the environment. All these nice positive things. Click that retweet button. Throw it out there. Okay. That's enough tweets for this week. Will I be back next week to read more of my tweets out loud? Well, I actually don't think I will. I might be out of town this coming week, away from my recording equipment. So you might have to just read the coming week's tweets all by yourself. The week after that, though... Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Have a great time, everybody. Enjoy every single tweet. Relaxing all cool and all shooting some bolt guns outside of the school when a couple of nerglings up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom wanted more. She said in the grim darkness of the future there is only war.